We are looking, finishing up our mini-series here on Acts 2.42. But our text that we want to read to open the time in God's word together is from Matthew chapter 21. And the setting is Christ walking along with his disciples during the harvest season, during the time when figs should be on the tree, and he comes up on a tree that has no figs on it. And he curses the tree, and it immediately withers and shrivels away. And the disciples are amazed. Wow, look at, look at what God can do. Jesus uses the opportunity to talk about prayer. And we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 21, uh, verse 20. I'd ask you to stand with me briefly, but in reverence for God's holy word. And Christ himself speaking to us on the subject of prayer. Matthew chapter 21. This follows up the little narrative I just mentioned. Hear the word of the Lord in Matthew 21, 20. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatsoever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for even a passage like this that stretches our imagination, certainly stretches our faith. And we wonder, what prayer request can we offer? And what is Christ saying here? What is the instruction for us, and what does it mean with regard to prayer? Father, I pray that you would open up all those things for us and show us uh, your mind and your will and your heart about our prayers. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As we're considering sort of this final instruction, being devoted to prayer and wondering what that means, I got to thinking about some of the great prayers in Scripture, some of the great prayers in, that we've heard, that we're familiar with. And I remember that Christ did say that we need to have the faith of a little child. He wasn't saying that specifically in regard to prayer, but that, combined with the concept of prayer, got me Google searching for some of the great prayers that have been offered by children and young people. And I thought these were pretty good. I'll just give two examples. Uh, Number one, uh, dear God, my mom tells me that you have a reason for everything. I guess broccoli is one of your great mysteries. Another one, dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I don't want to ask my mom to move out. (laughs) And as we think about something like that, is that an appropriate prayer? Is, is, that, is that sacrilegious? What is childlike faith when it comes to prayer? What should our prayers contain? What should we be asking for? What are the preconditions? What, are the, what is the thinking to be associated with prayer? And as I got to studying it, uh, I came to uh, basically our outline that we have here And what the outline basically does is it follows the apostles' teaching formula. 
the Apostles' Doctrine formula. So if you look in your bulletin, you'll see the outline. Three points. Got to have a three-point sermon. Number one, we learn of prayer from the Old Testament. What is prayer? It's not just a New Testament thing. It's something God has always received and given to man. So we learn of it in the Old Testament. Secondly, we devote ourselves to Christ's gospel commands about prayer. And we're going to look at Christ in the gospels and see what he said. Then we're going to devote ourselves. We're going to learn about the apostles' teaching on prayer. What was in the epistles, uh, Acts, Romans, and what the, the epistles give us of the, the teaching of Christ's apostles. And so I'll summarize the passage this way. That devoting ourselves to prayer involves learning of it from the Old Testament, following Christ's gospel commands, and then those are detailed out by the apostles' teaching on prayer. So I want to start with that first Roman numeral, that we learn of prayer from the Old Testament. And I think there really are two forms of prayer that we'll see, an informal prayer and a formal prayer. A prayer, you think of formal prayer, kind of like we did in our prayer of confession. It praises God. We think of the Lord's Prayer in, the, in the, that format, using that format in our prayers. But there's also a sort of informal prayer that's included particularly early in Genesis. But it's echoed throughout all of Scripture to some degree. The informal prayer kind of starts at Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. Adam and Eve had been created, they had been sinned, they had kicked out of the garden, Cain had killed Abel, Adam and Eve had another son named Seth, and Genesis 4.26 records that people began to call on the name of the Lord. We take that to be prayer. Prior to that, most of the conversation, most of the dialogue between God and man was God speaking. And very little is said of man ever speaking back to God. But here in Genesis 4.26, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, something more akin to what we can call the conversation of prayer. A couple of examples of that. Uh, God spoke to Adam. He spoke to Eve directly. He spoke to Cain. He spoke to Noah. Only Cain is recorded in scripture as ever responding. And Cain's response to God when God told Cain of his punishment for having killed his brother, Cain responds, my punishment is too great for me. There's, a, there's an offering up of telling God something he already knows, maybe a little bit of complaint. This, this is too harsh. This is too much for what I have done. Uh, of course, God put the mark on Cain that no one was allowed to kill him. So there was a form of grace even in that. But what we're going to learn from prayer here is that mostly prior to, say, Genesis 12, it's mostly God speaking, with this one exception in Genesis 4, that people began to call in the name of the Lord. This progressed with Abraham. And we really have two examples from Genesis 15 and 17 of Abraham's prayers to God. And I think it's very interesting the informality of it, the conversational nature of it. Uh, Genesis 15, God promises to protect Abraham and to give him great reward. You can imagine, uh, this is one of the first times God reaches out with his grace and his mercy. 
directly to an individual. And God tells Abraham, Abraham, you're mine. You're my chosen. You're, my, you're the one I have set my favor upon. And he tells Abraham it's this great reward. And Abraham's response is interesting. It's basically, well, that's great, God, but I don't have a son. How are you going to reward me? How are you going to, how, you, how am I even going to have descendants? When I die, that's it. I don't have a son. In fact, my heir, by legal means, is going to be the servant in my household. I don't have a son even. So where's my reward? And so Abraham's response is pretty interesting that he would speak to God this way. It intensifies in Genesis 17. God gives his fuller covenant to Abraham. And he promised that Sarah would have a son. You remember what Abraham had done with Hagar and sort of tried to help God along. And Ishmael was born. But then God says, no, Sarah's going to have a son. And of course, Sarah is 90, maybe a little older than 90 years old here. And it records in Genesis 17 that Abraham laughs. Have you ever read a Bible verse? Which is God speaking? Just, <laughs> yeah, right. It's basically what Abraham did. And he goes on, oh, that Ishmael were before you and accepted by you. Basically, Abraham's saying, okay, I hear your promise that Sarah's going to have a son, but we have Ishmael, we, but you won't accept him. And Abraham's almost chafing under God's promise. And I think what we see in Abraham is sort of this informal prayer. Abraham is in covenant with God since Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. God has three times detailed out, each with a little, little different nuance, adding to it, uh, expanding it, building upon it. Abraham is in covenant with God and his prayer is much more conversational. It's more of an open discussion. I dare say there's even a boldness with Abraham to laugh at God's command. Just admitting kind of what we all do when we read the promises of God. I'm always with you. I'll never leave you, forsake you. All things will work together for your good. And we read stuff like that and say, yeah, but God, do you know my situation? I know you know my situation. How is this good? We kind of chuckle. We kind of are a little skeptical. And so we can have those open, informal, even bold discussions with God. And I, I think, and we're going to see a little bit more as we go through the rest of the text for this morning, that is prayer. But there's also, in the Old Testament, a more formal, a more reverent, maybe like what we did this morning in the Lord's Prayer, our prayer of confession. The first usage of the word prayer in Scripture is with Isaac. It says Isaac prayed to the Lord because his wife, Rebekah, was barren. He took his petition and he formally prayed to the Lord. God answered his prayer and, and Rebekah did have a child. It's the second use we see with Moses as Moses intercedes for the people. He first prayed to the Lord that the flies would go, leave Egypt. The flies were not only pestering the Egyptians, they were pestering the Israelites. And Moses prayed to the Lord. Then there was the other case where Israel had sinned and God was sending judgment. Moses intercedes for the people. 
much like Christ's blood intercedes for us, that picture is there in that account. And so it's a formal. They prayed to the Lord. Of course, there's many other examples through the Old Testament. Uh, maybe tonight uh, we can have that discussion. If you've got the little quarter sheets, one of the things we'll, I'll ask is, what other prayers from the Old Testament stand out to you? So maybe we can talk about some of those tonight. But for our purposes right now, I think what we see in the Old Testament is there's formal and informal prayer. Well, what did Christ say about that in the Gospels? This is what the apostles' teaching does. We take what's in the Old Testament. We see what, how Christ validated what's there. And then we look and see what the apostles have to say. So, Matthew 6, you probably don't have to turn to it, uh, except for, I do want to look at verse 7. Matthew 6, 9 is the Lord's Prayer. We prayed this this morning, um, and you're familiar with the text. Well enough. And I think what we have here is this is okay to pray. It's not, there's nothing wrong with praying this as our prayer. But I think what we see from Matthew 6, 9 is that this also serves maybe on a higher level, maybe on a deeper level, as a pattern for prayer. These are the things that our prayers should include. There is an informality to saying our Father. Imagine that. I couldn't say that to the President of the United States. I couldn't say that to the Governor. I don't have that type of access as I do with a parent. But when we pray our Father, what we're saying is, God, I have a relationship with you. You have a relationship with me. There is a sort of, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, you know, when I went to my dad, I didn't set up an appointment and, you know, here's our calendar and three days from today, you know, dad, I'd like to tell you about, you know, I need new basketball shoes, sneakers. And I just said, dad, I'm, I'm, I got a game coming up. My sneakers are gone. I just, there's that. And so we have this pattern of our father. And, and, and so we should use this as a pattern. Verse nine says, pray then like this. Use this as a pattern for prayer. And there's elements in here. There's praise. There's thanksgiving. There's acknowledgement. There's giving God glory. There's a desire for God's kingdom to come and to expand. For wanting his will done on earth. In my life. In others' lives. In our country. A petition for daily bread, daily needs. For our sins and the forgiveness a reminder for us to forgive, that we not be led into temptation, not be put into times of testing. Which is fascinating because we know the times of testing are some of the greatest growth times, some of the most important times for our spiritual growth. When we're put to the test, when we get to see how strong or weak our faith is. And yet, we're allowed to ask Lord, don't lead us into temptation. Don't put me, not temptation to sin. God doesn't lead us into sin. God is not tempted with sin, neither does he tempt any man. What the prayer is, God, don't put me through. And you know, the, 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 that lime green prayer list sheet that's out there for, I guess, I don't know if it's January and February. 
there's all kinds of testing on that sheet. We're being, people are being put to the test to learn to trust God. So there's a pattern there, but it's okay to pray the Lord's Prayer too as itself. But I think what it's saying, um, for all prayer, we need to engage our heart and our mind. What we need to be cautious of as we come to the Lord's Prayer is not just go through it, go through the motions, out of rote. Not just say it, our Father, which art in heaven, uh, what comes next? Oh yeah. But pray it as a prayer. You are, we are talking to God in that moment. The prayer of confession. We need to engage our hearts and our minds. Uh, you know, from the prayer of confession. I picked this one, but, but you know, this one's been used a, a billion times. We've sinned in thought, word, and deed. Do we really, are we really acknowledging that? My thoughts have gone where they shouldn't have gone. The words coming out of my mouth have been where they shouldn't have been. The things that I've done, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I failed to do things I ought to have done. The prayer, deepen within us our sorrow for wrong that we have done. I think that's an important prayer. Many times we violate God's commandments. We've gone against the creator of the universe, and we, we, it doesn't even register. And what we're praying is, God, help me to have a tender, sensitive conscience. You know, hammers, sledgehammers are not a sensitive instrument. But then they've got little ball-peen hammers that just tap, just barely move. That's a sensitive... And so what we're praying is, God, give me a sensitivity to my own sin. Help me not to miss it. In other words, help me not to say something with my mouth or, or blow my horn in frustration with the driver in front of me and then just go on with my day forgetting that maybe I violated your law. Give me that greater sensitivity. And so as we pray something like that, I think what, this, what Jesus would have us do is engage our hearts and our minds. I'd have you turn to John chapter 16. Here's another one of Christ's commands. It goes in a little different place. And it kind of answers the question, what things can we pray about? And how should we pray? And when should we pray? And these are the questions we're basically going to answer for the rest of this morning. And try to make some application at the end. Look at John chapter 16. Verse 22, this is probably within a week, maybe 10 days of Jesus' death. And so give it that context as we read what Jesus says. John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving you. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. When Christ returns, his second coming, when we, he takes us to glory with him, we're going to have everything we need because we're going to have him. There's not going to be the need for prayer like there is now. But Jesus is saying, while I'm gone, while I'm in the grave, when I'm no longer physically with you, pray. Ask. Keep reading in the text. Truly I say to you, this is verse 23, the middle of verse Truly I say to you, whatever you ask, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing on my name. Ask and you will receive 
that your joy may be full. This is profound in its, in its, in its instruction. Number one, whatever is fairly wide open. What is it do we think that God's providence has brought into our lives that we're not allowed to pray about? Jesus said, whatever. Now, we have to qualify whatever. I can't pray, Lord, help me steal my neighbor's Porsche. Make me successful in this. Because I have to pray in Jesus' name. It's the things that I can go through Jesus to the Father. In other words, it has to be within God's permissive will. Not his revealed will. We prayed for Tom's sister, Marie. We don't know what God's will is. But we can ask for whatever we desire. You've got the whole green sheet of prayer lists, our missionaries, the ministries in this area, family and friends and personal stuff that doesn't make the prayer sheet because it's a little too sensitive. Whatever we ask in Christ's name, we'll have it. And God, God instructs us to ask that our joy might be full. That we might have the opportunity to go to another brother and sister in Christ. Hey, I prayed about this thing. And let me tell you what God did. And so pray in such a way that you say, Lord, I don't know what you will do. I know what you can do. And what I want most is your glory. I want you to do something amazing so that I have the opportunity to give you praise before another believer, to another Christian, to a family member, maybe that's unregenerate. To a co-worker that won't listen to you about the gospel. But Mike could listen to you about, hey, I prayed about this and here's what God did. That our joy might be full. It says, you're not asking for anything in my name. Ask that you will receive. Prayer is perhaps one of the most powerful gifts given us in God's gracious providence, in the most underutilized. It's like having food in the fridge and being emaciated from hunger. It's a tool, it's an avenue, it's an open door that we can come boldly like Abraham. Turn to Matthew 21. Also validates this. We talked about the fig tree. That's that setting. Look at that last verse. Matthew 21, verse 22. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Well, didn't I just say I can't pray, God help me steal the neighbor's Porsche so that it make me successful? And I believe you can do that, God. I believe you can make him see, put a deep sleep upon him and the police won't be driving by. You can help me. Didn't I just say we're not allowed to pray for things outside of God's will? Well, what does 22 mean? Whatever you ask in, in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Faith is required. In other words, the number one thing this is telling us is if we're praying and we're skeptical that God could possibly do the thing that we're asking for, that's a problem. 
We have to pray in faith. We have to pray believing, confident he can do the very thing we've asked for. If it's according to his will, we understand that. But we can't pray skeptically. We've got to pray in faith believing. I love that record in the scriptures where the man brought his son to Jesus having seizures and said, Lord, heal my son. And Jesus said, I will if you believe. And the man replied, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I think that's a beautiful prayer. Lord, I, I, I know intellectually you can do anything that I ask you. If it's according to your will, nothing is beyond your power. You can heal. You can provide the job. You can give me wisdom. You can. And I want to believe. But Lord, I admit, I struggle to believe. There's, there's a natural skepticism in my heart. And the beauty is God already knows that. He wants us to admit it to ourselves. So we have to have faith. We have to understand. But that whatever is pretty wide open. What does it mean to have faith when we pray? Um, That word is used a lot. Well, I have faith. And some will even go further to say, I have faith in God. What is that faith? It says in the verse... Whatever you ask in faith, you will, you will receive if you have faith. How do I get that prayer request? Well, you've got to have faith. Well, what is it to have faith? If you've ever prayed for anything deeply and long and passionately, you know, and you, you can honestly say, I really believe God could do that, and eventually, things you didn't get what you asked for. Well, how can this verse say... You will receive if you have faith. Have faith in what? What kind of faith is this talking about? I think it's the kind of faith that says, Lord, I'm asking for this. I have faith that you're either going to give me this, the exact thing that I'm asking for, or you're going to give me something better. You're going to do better than what I asked. You're going to conform me to the image of Christ. I want this job. I want this house. I want this relationship. And I believe you're going to give me this, which is good, or something better than this. This faith is a confidence that whatever God answers with is good and is better than the thing that we didn't get. That's the kind of faith I think it's talking about. And then we can follow it up with the prayer, Lord God, thank you for not giving me what I asked for. Thank you. You didn't, you know, in, in my ignorance, in my lack of understanding, thank you for not giving me the specific thing I asked for. Thank you for giving me this thing, which is so much the better. Ask in faith, believing that God is good. and He's going to conform you to the image of Christ. All right, so we have Christ's instructions. Uh, the tough part about this message is, man, there's so much to pick from. There's so much that Christ said. But let's look at the apostles. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Well, 
we're commanded to pray, but can we just pray anything and everything? And, and, and what should be the motives behind our prayer? James chapter 4. And James is laying out sort of what's going on with his readers in terms of their desires and, and what they're praying about. And he balances it well. There's sort of two sides to pray. We're commanded to pray. We have no right to stay away. We, we have no right to rely on ourselves. God is wanting. He is instructing us to pray. But he also says there's certain things, there's certain ways not to pray. And James lays it out well. James 4, 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's that I mean, I think that's a great description of our world. My goodness, the greed, the desire, the, the, the bitterness, the struggles, the, the back and forth, the slander, the, the working 80 hours a week to afford X, Y, and Z versus, you know, uh, skipping church, skipping prayer time, skipping devotions. There's, there's the, the greed of, of, of acquiring. There's the jealousy of those who have when we don't. Man, this is, this is our world. Then look what James says. He gives, he explicates, expands on Christ's instruction. You do not have because you do not ask. I don't know, but that verse talks to me to say, am I actually cheating myself by failing to pray? Are there things that God would give me but hasn't because I didn't go to him. I tried to get it on my own. I tried to finagle it. I tried to, tried to work it out my own way. What James is saying, you don't have because you don't ask. And what we've seen from Christ's instruction, it's fairly wide open. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask with faith, I'll do it. I'll get it for you. Don't be afraid to go to God with your petitions and prayers and praise. Don't hide it... We can't hide it from God, but don't think we're going to hide it. Don't think we need to hide our needs from God. But then he balances out in 4 verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is why I can't pray, Lord help me steal the Porsche. Because all I want the Porsche for is to go break the speed limit. We have to ask a right. One of the ways to ask a right is to say, Lord, I'm not asking for this for myself. I'm asking for this so that you will get glory from having done it. So I can tell other people about what you've done. So I can use it for you. So I can thank you in the morning for it. That's why praying about a job, praying about the finances that you need to get from day to day. Lord, I need food on the table. And then when I see you put food on the table, I'm going to make sure and return thanks that you put food on my table. I'm not asking for it so I can just spend it on myself or keep it to myself. Have we ever prayed, Lord, give me a pay raise so that I can help my neighbor? So that I can pay somebody's electric bill that needs it. So I can help my mother or my dad who needs help right now. Do we, do we pray that way? That's not praying to consume my lusts. That's praying so that I can help others, so God can get the glory, so that I can tell others about him. 
Philippians 4, 6, you don't have to turn here. This one's probably very familiar, but it struck me in a way that this is worth considering. Do we understand that prayer is a way to minimize or avoid our anxiety? Do we understand that prayer is a way to deal with our anxiety, the things we're worried about? James or Philippians 4, 6. We have the command, do not be anxious about anything. We don't get, we're not allowed to worry about anything, to be anxious, to have that knot in our gut, to have that tightness in our chest. And I don't mean medically, physically. I mean that the, the, our mind, when, when our mind is racing and we can't sleep, we should think of this first, be anxious about nothing. How I'm going to pass the test coming up. How, how my relationship is going with so-and-so. How paying the bills. My car is breaking down and I can't afford a new one. Be anxious about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what Paul is saying to the Philippians is instead of worrying about it, ask God for it. With thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. Be in prayer. And as we pray, and as we go through the, the logic of prayer and who we're asking, it tends to begin to minimize the anxiety. The God who created the universe, by the word of his power, his powerful word, can provide the car so that we can get the work, so we can pay the bills, can intervene on behalf of our child, for their health, for their salvation. He can make the change. Stop. And again, I say this is from the Lord. Stop the worrying. Stop it with the anxiety. This is God talking to me about my house situation and separation from Deborah and what house we're going to buy and, you know, do I have enough saved for retirement? Stop it, Mark. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? We have this command in scripture. Lastly, 1 Peter 3.12. And this, to me, this gives a beautiful illustration. You ever gone to a doctor's appointment? And, you know, you called up and they, t- they set the time. They tell you what time you're supposed to be there. And, you know, you show up five, ten minutes early because, you know, hey, this is the doctor. He's a busy guy. I want to be there. I don't, want to, I don't want the delay to be my fault because I showed up too late. And we show up on time or early and then the doctor's late. And, you know, there may be legitimate examples, reasons for that. He's got multiple patients. Somebody, they had an emergency. Somebody jumped the line. There may be reasons for that. I'm not blaming the doctor. But you know what it's like to wait on the doctor. Our passage kind of talks about this in terms of God in our prayers. 1 Peter 3.12, if you have a turn there, 1 Peter 3.12. Starts for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God knows that you just stubbed your toe. God knows that your check engine light came on. Every tiny, minuscule circumstance of our lives, God knows. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to, the pr- to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. First of all, we're different than the unregenerate. Those outside of Christ, we live in a different place. He's, God's not, he's aware every bit as much, but he's not watching closely. He's not attending every circumstance. But that middle phrase, the lies of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. This is us waiting on the, or God is the patient waiting on the doctor. His ears are open to our prayers. He's waiting to hear from us. And that may be a little bit edgy of a reading, but he's certainly ready to hear from us. He's in heaven waiting. He's he's just waiting for us to ask. Don't keep God waiting. Don't think God isn't serious when he says to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find the grace to help in our time of need. So, I think three quick applications. How often should we pray? I do like the, the, the concept, and I believe there should be specific times of formal prayer. But kind of like Abraham, it should just be an, a, an ongoing running conversation. Lord, I just gunned it too hard to get through that red light, and I probably shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry. Lord, I don't trust you right now. Too many circumstances have happened too recently, and I'm having trouble believing what you're saying. God, I haven't been in your word at all this week. Don't be afraid to go to God. He already knows. He's waiting on us to hear from us. Colossians and Thessalonians, we didn't address it, talks about to pray constantly, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Lord, I got a pay raise, or I got a, I got a bonus at work. I wasn't expecting that. Thank you, Lord. Lord, my hours got cut this week, or if you're self-employed, Lord, I got no jobs this week. Thank you that you're stressing, putting me to the test, showing me me. Secondly, what can we pray about? I think it's pretty wide open. Now, there are those caveats. It has to be something we can ask in Christ's name. can't be something we know God has forbidden and is off limits. But I think the, 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 the paramount example of this is Christ on the cross. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you get the significance? Christ is literally asking for the crucifixion not to happen. If there's any other route, Lord, if I could just like pray a bunch instead of going to the cross. Lord, if I could could spend another 10 years on earth rather than going to the cross. If there's any other way, Christ is literally asking, Father, is there something else we can do other than crucifixion? And we're in union with Christ. We have his righteousness. Otherwise, we can't go to God at all. So we have this example of Christ asking us. 
That's a pretty bold way to go to the throne of grace. If there's any other way, God. And I think sometimes we could even pray, Lord, I'm thinking about how Christ asked you to not be crucified. And I'm going to ask you something just as crazy. Something just as outrageous. But then lastly, there's the how we pray. We can pray for what we want, but always submitted to his will. And that's how Christ finished his prayer on the cross. Lord, if there's any other way possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. Christ didn't want to die. You think he wanted that agony? He was human, fully human, fully God. But no, he didn't. He, didn't, he, he knew. He wasn't unaware. It says he went to the cross with joy, despising the shame. But that's his God. In his humanity, he knows your suffering. and He knows you don't want to suffer. He knows you don't want to be put to the test in your faith. He knows you don't want to hurt and doubt. And he's okay with us asking, is there any other way possible? But not my will. Because he's going to give us what's good that we want or something better that we hadn't even thought of. Tonight, we're going to get a little bit more practical and get into, okay, what are the prayers we offer? What, what are the types of prayers? Praise, thanksgiving, petition. We're going to look at those from the scripture. And so we'll go over the study questions tonight, the discussion questions. We'll go over some of these particular types of prayer. But there's, there's so much meat here that I thought it'd be unwise to rush on to some other subject. We're going to stay here. Um, I think, what did I call it? Continuing in prayer. That's the, the title of tonight's service. So we're going to continue on that subject. So let's have those discussion uh, questions tonight. Let's be ready to go. Come out and worship God tonight. But right now, let's close in prayer, and then let's sing to close our service. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we know uh, we fall so far short, but you're, you're so compassionate and merciful and gracious and patient with us. And that's because you love your son, Jesus Christ, and so you love us that much because we are with Christ. We're connected to him. He is the one overshadowing us. We're under the cover of his wings. And so, Father, you're as gracious and loving to us as you would be to your own son. You do not remember our iniquities. You cleanse us forever from them. So help us, Father, to bring these things, these things to mind when we go to you in prayer. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of response is number 705, to know whom we have believed, and if we know him, we'll pray to him. Now 705, verses 1 and 5, let's stand and sing.